I work with a lot of adults in their, you know, maybe 40s, 50s, 60s who went through a loss in childhood or adolescence. And the stories I hear are often that the message was, no, let's not talk about it. Let's move on. You're doing fine. You know, let's just keep going. And, you know, maybe they lost a parent or a sibling, but the family didn't talk about it. And that message was more confusing and damaging than if you were just to allow the kid to sit with their sadness. Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? The next round of the ADHD Essentials online parent coaching groups starts Monday. There are still some spaces left, but you have to contact me by Friday if you want in. And even then, there may or may not be spaces available. So reach out as soon as possible. You can contact me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com or go to ADHDessentials.com slash parent groups to learn more about them and register for a free information call. The groups will run from Monday, May 9th until Thursday, June 30th, because we meet on Mondays and Thursdays. We meet for eight weeks, with each week having its own theme. Those themes are practicing self-care, parenting as leadership, improving connection within the family, improving communication within the family, building ADHD-friendly systems and structures, anxiety, my wall of awful model, and wrapping it all up with questions. The groups are aimed at improving family relationships and, most significantly, reducing the overall anxiety in the home. The entirety of these groups is built with ADHD-friendly structures and strategies and tactics in mind. Again, go to ADHDessentials.com slash parent groups for more information or email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And of course, check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb, and ADHD Diversified with MJ. Don't forget to join us for a live Q&A the second Tuesday of every month at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash events to register. Welcome to the show. This is perhaps one of the most important episodes I've ever posted for this podcast. In this episode, we're talking to therapist and author Claire Bidwell-Smith. Claire is a grief expert, and her latest book is Anxiety, the Missing Stage of Grief. In this episode, Claire talks to us about grief. She discusses the interconnections between anxiety and grief, the different models and perspectives on the subject, its cyclical nature, the importance of making space for grief, how to handle it with kids, and why grief is around us more than we may think. All right, let's get rolling. So I have been really steeped in the grief world. Um, I come to it from my own personal losses. Both of my parents got cancer at the same time when I was 14. 
an only child. My mom died when I was a freshman in college and my dad died a few years later when I was in my 20s. So I kind of entered adulthood in a lot of loss um, and it put me on a certain path. You know, I, I ended up getting my master's in clinical psychology and then I worked in hospice and then opened my private practice. So it's not what I thought I'd be when I grew up, when I was a kid. I did not want to be a grief expert, um, but here I am. Yeah. And that's a hard way to become a grief expert too, is to have lived it. But as a guy who is an ADHD expert, cause he's lived it and then also studied it, it makes your knowledge that much more powerful. I'm sure. Right. Would you want to see somebody who'd never grieved, you know, for, for your grief? So, or ADHD, same thing. Yeah. I think we, I think we have to come to it from a personal place on some level. Yeah. As I'm sure you could tell from our pre-interview conversation, this book, like kicked my ADHD and excitement and curiosity into high gear because my questions are all over the map, right? I'm like, I want to talk about this thing. And also this thing that has nothing to do with that other thing and is only tangentially connected to like the main point that I want to get from my audience out of this. So I want to start broadly. And then there's so many places to play as we go through this interview that will sort of narrow things down as we go. But the main purpose of this interview for my audience is we are two years into a pandemic and I have not done an episode on grief and loss yet. Mm. And that is my failure. It's as much my own overwhelm over the past two years. And just, I just couldn't chase down guests anymore. So I had to wait for them to come to me kind of and interview (laughs) people who I already knew and that kind of stuff. But now I kind of have my legs under me a little bit. And I was like, I have to, I have to make sure that my first priority is getting a grief person on the show, getting an expert in grief and loss. So that's where you come in. You were, you were gracious enough to be willing to come on to this show of a guy you've never met and have probably never heard of. One of the things that drew me to your work is that it's not just about grief. It's also about anxiety. And I'm a guy who firmly believes that everything is anxiety. Like if, <laughs> if you've got a challenge going on, if you can nail down the anxiety piece, the challenge will get a little bit easier. Whenever I hear some, usually it's an herbal supplement or something, some magical thing that treats everything. My default now is like, no, 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 that treats anxiety. That doesn't treat everything. It's just anxiety touches everything. Yeah. And can we play with the role that anxiety plays with grief or how they weave together and grief affects anxiety, anxiety affects grief? Absolutely. I mean, I see everything the way you do about anxiety. I see everything with grief. So I see grief everywhere and I, and I believe it is everywhere. And I think that that's very evidenced by what we've been going through the last couple of years. It's not your failure to not have addressed grief yet. It's a failure on our culture. You know, we, we really struggle to talk about end of life, to talk about death, to talk about grief and loss. And, and then it comes around and we are unprepared. But grief at its core is loss and loss at its core is change and with change brings anxiety, you know, so after my mother died, I began having panic attacks regularly, I had a lot of other anxious symptoms, I went from being a person who'd never experienced anxiety to one who was absolutely debilitated by it for years. And no one in the clinical world was talking about the correlation between grief and anxiety. So for a long time, I mean, I ended up in in ERs with panic attacks and they just sent me on my way because I was 18 and healthy. And they were like, oh, you have heart palpitations. And never once did someone ask me what was happening in my personal life or why I might be experiencing anxiety. And so it took me years to put the pieces together. And it wasn't until I was in a trauma psychology class in college and I thought, 
oh, could my anxiety be related to the fact that my parents died? You know, and it sounds so funny now to even have not understood that back then, but no one around me was talking about it or putting the pieces together for me. But it makes a lot of sense. You know, when we go through a huge life transition, like a pandemic or a divorce or the loss of a loved one, our whole world changes. And that is very anxiety inducing, you know? So I think that there's a lot of reasons that we can become anxious after a loss. And some of them are that, the life change and the transitions and the shock and the trauma of it. Some of it's from unprocessed grief, you know, as again, as a culture, not really knowing how to grieve, how to embrace it, how to talk about it. When we don't know how to do those things and we push grief down and we don't go through the process of it, we can become anxious as a result of that. As soon as you said that grief is everywhere, right? That in the same way that anxiety is everywhere, I started thinking of it differently, right? I brought you on with the thought process of people are dying, right? We've lost over a million people in the United States in the past two years, just the COVID, not, not including car accidents and heart attacks and that kind of stuff. But I'm also thinking about other things. Like we talk about learning loss, right? And I use the phrase grief and loss. So the, the anxiety around learning loss, am I on to something that maybe that's housed in grief? Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest questions I've received over the last two years, because here I was already positioned as a grief expert when the pandemic came on and my latest book called Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief came out during a time when the entire world was going through it. But the biggest question I got was, can we grieve for things that are not the loss of a person? Of course. Yeah. We grieve all the time. You know, we grieve life changes and transitions like again, divorce, moving from a different house, um, our kids being home from school during the pandemic, losing a job, um, our own health. Um, Sometimes we go through illness, we grieve for these things. And all of that, again, brings anxiety as well. Not everyone goes through anxiety when they grieve. Um, Some people really don't, but a lot of us do. Some of the thoughts that are flying through my head. One is, I really want to pull out the thread of we can also grieve for the mental health of our kids because oh yeah i know my kids are struggling something fierce it it's significant enough that i don't talk about it on the show and my audience knows i'm pretty open about stuff i haven't been talking about my kids as much at least not to with regard to their struggles because it's more intense than i'm comfortable with and certainly there's a layer of grief and grieving around the stuff that they're not getting the stuff that cuz because they're in they're struggling enough that they kind of can't do some of the things that they might otherwise be doing. Um, so those experiences that they're not getting is really how I should put it. And also another layer of grief that I think matters for my ADHD audience is when you have a kid who's diagnosed with ADHD or anxiety, potentially, there's sort of a lack of grieving that happens that needs to happen, mm-hmm. right? Like if you have a kid who's born with Down syndrome, it's obvious, like it's, and I don't mean that derogatorily. It's just, it's really clear that whatever vision you had for this kid, it's different now. Absolutely. But when the kid has ADHD or dyslexia or one of these silent disabilities that are kind of like ninja and they're not obvious, it's easy to skip that step. It is. And so it's this drawn out grief of, oh, my kid can't seem to get their homework turned in on time or they struggle to read or whatever. And instead of taking the time to go, oh, 
my kid who I thought was going to be a lawyer maybe isn't going to be a lawyer, or maybe it's going to take them longer to become a lawyer, or maybe they're going to be a legal assistant. And that grief is in here for my audience potentially as well. I totally agree. I think so many of us are grieving our kids right now, whether they're going through normal kids stuff or they're also, you know, grappling with all the changes the pandemic have brought. My 14-year-old stepson was just diagnosed with ADHD. I have a blended family and my husband and I have six kids between the two of us. And my 13-year-old daughter is going through a bunch of stuff. And we are, we're grieving. We're grieving, you know, I'm grieving the the little girl that I had a few years ago who was so sweet and who I, you know, imagined a different future for than what is happening right now. And it's scary. I think it's really hard to sit with that that uncertainty um, that we have to let go of the vision we had. Uh, but I think it's really important to sit with it. I think it's important to let yourself feel sad. I have a very good friend who had a daughter unexpectedly with Down syndrome. And she did. She grieved right then and there, you know, right then and there when her daughter was born. She had a big wave of grief that lasted a few weeks. And then she was kind of able to reconfigure her thoughts about what raising that child was going to be like. And and we don't you're right. I don't think we do that properly for these other kind of more silent issues that happen. And in terms of grieving properly. I'm not pretending that any one model is going to nail that, right? Like I just to, to start there, but I brought you on after having read Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief. And one of the pieces of the book that really struck me was J. William Warden's Four Tasks of Grieving. Can we play with that a little bit? And, and I really like the idea that, that there's a purpose behind it, as opposed to it's just a place to get stuck. Yeah, absolutely. But I do want to point out before we get into tasks, like People grieve in different ways. Some people are very task oriented and they look at grief as, you know, like kind of a project to tackle. Like, how am I going to get through this? It's it's why, you know, four tasks are appealing. It's why the five stages of grief, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's first model of grief has always stuck around because it's this kind of sometimes it's a false promise of like, okay, if I just go through these four things, or if I just go through these five stages, I'll be on the other side and I'll have gotten, you know, through this thing. And it doesn't always work that way. I think for some people, it does work really well to get task oriented. Um, But for some people, grief is a much more fluid, unwieldy emotional process that no task is going to help them move through. Um, and, And my job as a grief therapist is to really sit and understand the person I'm working with and like, what do they need? Do they need tasks? Do they need kind of goalposts and guideposts and where are they going with this? And then other people need to kind of like swim around in a big sea of grief and come in and out of it. So for people listening who may go one way or the other, I just want to kind of point that out that the tasks and the stages and these things are so helpful for certain people. And then others, they need to kind of go a different route. Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel seen and called out all at the same time. And that's awesome. (laughs) I didn't mean to do that. (laughs) No, no, no. It's totally cool. That's valid, right? Like as I read your book, and I know I'm leaving, I'm leaving the four tasks of grieving for a second. But as I read your book, one of the things that that struck me was you talked about how our culture approaches loss and why it's kind of problematic the way the way we approach loss. And as I was reading it, I was like, yeah, that's me. Like I I will, I'm gonna like piss some friends off right now. And I apologize, <laughs> friends, because I know they listen to the show. And it's it, this is my issue, it is not their issue. But I have friends who like they've lost someone important to them and and periodically their Facebook is like flooded with stuff, right? 
and I can't relate to it. I, I've lost my mom. My mom died um, a while ago. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank thank you, and I'm I'm sorry for the loss of your parents as well. Like I, I get it, but I'm also like I move on, kind of like I'm like yeah, she died, and I can't bring her back. But I'm not a person who wants to swim in that grief. I'm a person who wants to be like I I don't want to say next because that's that's disrespectful to my mom, and that's not how I mean it. No, you're more pragmatic. You're thinking about it in a pragmatic way, you know, and a little bit, yeah. And and one of the things that gave me permission in your book to kind of operate the way I operate, I guess, is one of the things that got, that was spoken about was, and I I think it might've been in the four tasks is the idea of like finding a way to maintain a connection to the person you've lost. Um, And the most significant person I've lost is my mom. I haven't lost too many other people, thankfully. My mom was a helper, right? Like my mom's whole deal was helping other people. She was a nurse. She struggled with alcoholism. She, once she kind of tackled it the second or third time, she became very active in Alcoholics Anonymous and helping other people find their sobriety. And I think part of why I'm, I've been able to navigate the loss of my mom is I'm kind of embodying the values that she taught me, right? Like my job is to help people and help and help and help and improve the lives of others. And it's a different lens on it, but it's the same basic concept. Absolutely. So to that point, I think that's part of why I've been able to, I don't know, like taskify it a little bit, I guess, sort of like every time that I meet with a client, set up a podcast interview that's going to be useful to people, do a workshop to train folks on how to more effectively manage ADHD, my mom is there with me in a way. Mm, I love that. That's so important and meaningful. You know, I think that is definitely a, a, a really great way to stay connected with your mom, to have her be part of your life, to be part of your work. Um, I was working on a book about the afterlife years ago, and I was talking to a rabbi who was explaining to me that in Judaism, there's not a big emphasis on the afterlife. Like the afterlife is here and now, and the afterlife is like the legacy we leave and who we were and the things we pass down to the people in our lives. And So you're carrying out your mom's afterlife, you know, in a really beautiful way. But that's an important part of grief is finding ways to stay connected to the people that we've lost. Um, Even though they're not here physically anymore, there are ways we can embody them. There are ways that we can bring them into the lives of our children, um, all kinds of things that are that are important, because when we lose someone we love, it's it's so it can be this real existential crisis, you know, of like, wait a minute, you know, what is life about? Why are some people here and some people aren't? And what do we even do with that question and that idea? And how do we find a framework for it? And, and I just want my person back. And so finding some way that you can still hold on to them, I think is really an important part of the grieving process. And circling back, I don't, I don't want to come across like I'm belittling people who do need to swim around in the grief. Like that's totally valid. I, I haven't been there yet and maybe I'll get there. It's, I'm sure I'm going to lose more people and maybe I'll get there then. You're not going to lose anybody. I think we all relate in different ways. Even the people who like to swim around like to have rafts and lifeboats and, you know, buoys to swim to you. And those are these different stages and tasks, you know, um, I think that we need to be able to come in and out of the different ways of being in grief. I think, you know, all of these ideas around it are valid anger and depression and anxiety and and resentment and guilt and all the things that come with grief. But you can't just kind of 
go through them all at once or tick them off. There's they they come and go, and there's such a um, mercurial way of 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 moving through them. So circling back to the four tasks of grieving, can we play with that a little bit? Sure. Tell me what you like about them. I think what I like is that it gives it a purpose. I think I, I don't want to make this about me, but when I, when my mom died, I was like, I should probably go see a counselor because, and this is my reason. I don't know how to do this, (laughs) right? Like, I don't know how to lose somebody because I've never done it before, but that's very task oriented, right? That's, and so the, the, the tasks, the four tasks of grieving that Warden set up are accepting the reality of the loss, right? Like this, this is the thing that happened processing your grief and pain, which I imagine we continue to come back to, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know that that happens. Does that happen with accepting the reality of the loss or do you kind of accept that? And then it's accepted. Acceptance is also something we kind of come in and out of, you know, I think that there are, there are moments when we can feel very accepting of it, but then there's things that happen. And again, even processing the grief and the loss, it can get reignited, you know? So for instance, when my parents died, I went through a really long grieving process and I went through acceptance. I went through processing. I went through all these different phases and tasks and stages. But then when I was in my mid thirties, I got divorced and a lot of my grief came back, you know, a grief for my parents, grief for my family, grief for the f- life I thought I was going to live. So grief can come back in new ways. And while we've accepted it on one level, maybe we need to accept it again in a new level. So I always like to to remind people of that because I think that they often get stuck and think they're doing something wrong if they're struggling again with grief or if they find themselves back in a certain aspect of it. I can understand why that would that would feel like it's the wrong way to go when, when it kind of circles back. And I, I kind of wonder how much of that has to do with like the model we have for addiction where a relapse is hugely problematic, right? Maybe that's coloring when we circle back to grief again, like, Oh, if I relapse and I use that term loosely, but as perhaps an, an illustrative. No, I get that. Metaphor. Well, I mean, I think grief can be very, very hard. I think that grief can really like pull the rug out from from you. And once we get to a better place and we're kind of on our feet again, if it happens, if we kind of relapse into the grief, it's so painful. We thought we were in a good place. We thought we were doing okay. And so to suddenly find yourself back in that place can be really hard. I can't tell you how many clients, the first thing they say when they come into my office is, I think I'm doing this wrong. It's like one of the most common things I hear from people. There's really not a wrong way to grieve. You know, grief looks different for everybody. It depends on the relationship you had with the person, it depends on the way they died. It depends on you and your life and your personality. So grief is different for everyone, but there are these universal aspects of it. Uh, so sitting down and really looking with someone at like, what's your support system like? I always like to ask people, how do you think you've grieved? You know, like if I were to ask you and you don't have to answer this, but like if you were to reflect on your mother's death and think, what are the ways in which I've grieved? You know, it's an interesting question. And some people realize that they haven't really done some grieving. And there are some people who are afraid to grieve or some people who have very busy lives or are raising young children and there's not a lot of space for it. And I'll recommend like, hey, why don't you schedule some grief time? And it works really well for people. Like set aside maybe a Saturday afternoon when you don't have anything going on later and you can sit, maybe write a letter to the person you lost, maybe look through some old photos, maybe listen to music, like bring on some tears, like really let yourself sit in it and, and make that space for it. Because otherwise, when we don't make the space for it, it builds up and it builds up and then it 
spills out in anxiety, it spills out in anger, it spills out in substance abuse, it spills out in, you know, relationship problems. So making space for it is really important, but that's going to look different for everyone. I um I will answer that question. I grieve every Christmas because that was my mom's favorite holiday. I grieve periodically with snacks that my mom liked that I am not exactly a fan of, but like <laughs> I'll grab like a bag of combos or something and like who yeah. eats combos anymore? That's like such <laughs> an husband. 80s. My oh, husband. cool. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anyone buy or eat combos. Every road trip. He loves some combos. Yeah. My mom loved them. And so I would, I'll like randomly, I'll just be like, oh, combos. I'll grab those. Like think of mom while I eat them. I love it. Kind of a thing. But it's in those small doses. It's in small pieces here and there. And like I said, I think my work is in, to some degree me grieving my mom and, and staying connected to her. Not the least of which because this career for me started and my mom passing away is sort of at the same time. Like it's kind of connected in that way. In fact, one of the hardest moments I had was I presented my wall of awful model. I presented my wall of awful model at the international conference on ADHD a few years back. And it was my first time presenting at the conference. And so it was me like at the pinnacle of my profession presenting at this conference and I'm talking about stuff. And I cried for like five, 10 minutes in the, in the midst of it. Cause I was like, my mom's not here to see this. And I wish she was right. That's awesome. Um, and that, that was a, probably the hardest moment I've had. Oh, that's beautiful though. It's like such an honor and it's so good to let yourself feel that. And that's one of those moments too, right? Where you think you're good. You've, you've grieved your mom or you're feeling, you know, you're feeling okay with your grief about it. And then you have one of those life moments, right? Like every time I've sold a new book, it's this like moment where I'm so excited. It's like such a huge, big deal of my career. And then I just start crying because my parents aren't here to see it. You know, they would have loved nothing more. And so those things come back. And I think people can be startled, you know, when that, when that grief kind of circles back around in that way. Before we wander anywhere else, I want to make sure that I ask about kids because this is a parenting podcast and there's no scenario where there aren't people listening that have lost a spouse, or maybe there's kids that have been taken in by aunts, uncles, grandparents, because both of their parents have passed away. What do we do to help kids navigate the grief that they're experiencing? And, and does it depend on age and age range, or is it, are there some universal stuff we can do? What does that look like? It's such an important question. I'm glad you're talking about it. So I think that we really need to get better about talking about grief and death and loss with kids. They need to be able to kind of explore it and think about it. But one of the things that's really hard for parents is that kids do not grieve and they do not understand grief and loss and death in the ways that we do as mature adults. As they continue to develop, uh, they have new understandings of it all the time. So, you know, you'll see like an eight year old boy go through the loss of his mom and his understanding of that loss and his ability to grieve will continue to evolve as he evolves and develops, you know, developmentally. So I think that that can be very confusing to parents because they will think, oh, my kid isn't grieving. I'm not seeing them grieve or they're not doing the things I thought they would do or they're not talking about it. And then suddenly, like two years later, they'll come into a new space emotionally, intellectually, developmentally where they can grieve anew. So you'll see them go through a whole grief process. And then the parents like, oh, no, my kid is grieving. What's happening now? Why are they grieving now? And it's totally normal. And so I think that we have to have an extended conversation around grief and loss with our kids and always be prepared to be making space for it and talking about it to meet them as they grow. 
Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things that's confusing to parents, but they need to be able to talk about it. They need to be able to ask questions. You don't have to know the answers. You just have to make some space for them to ask those questions, right? So if they want to know like, where, where's my mom now? You can say, I don't know, you know, let's talk about different ideas. Where do you think she is now? What are ways we can connect with her? You know, do you want to put up a photo of her? Do you want to make her favorite meal every week? You know, different things like that. And just not always knowing the answer, but being open to, you know, holding that space for it. I want to reinforce that idea of just sitting there with their grief. It's so hard as parents. Yeah, it is because we want to solve, right? We want to like make it go away. We want them to stop hurting. Well, it's so hard to see your kids in pain. Oh my gosh. And even harder if it's not your kid, right? Like if it's your grandchild or your niece or nephew and you're building this entirely new relationship with them, where maybe once you were seeing them once a week, once a month, and now all of a sudden they live with you and you're going, oh man, and you're in this deep grieving hole. And what do I do with that? One of the things we could do is let them be in that hole. Let them grieve. Yeah. I moved across the country a couple of years ago with my family and my daughters. I just did not anticipate how much they would grieve leaving their home and their friends. And I was so distraught. It was so difficult to hold space for them. They were crying for weeks and, and I just wanted to fix it. You know, I was just anything. Want an iPhone? Here's some new friends. Let's try this. You know, anything to just try to help them stop being so sad. But I finally realized I just couldn't, they needed to be sad. They needed to grieve these things and they did, and it was healthy. But I think it's really hard for us. I work with a lot of adults in their, you know, maybe forties, fifties, sixties, who went through a loss in childhood or adolescence. And the stories I hear are often that the message was, no, let's not talk about it. Let's move on. You're doing fine. You know, let's just keep going. And, you know, maybe they lost a parent or a sibling, but the family didn't talk about it. And that message was more confusing and damaging than if you were just to allow the kid to sit with their sadness. Yeah, I can imagine. Sort of playing with the idea of how do we help them grieve a little bit. This isn't going to be perfect, but it will hopefully be useful. Pay attention to the things that make them feel good and feel happy and feel cared for. And when you go to support them, gently provide that. Routines are great for kids, just helping them feel secure. I mean, loss can be very frightening for them, you know? And so that someone is suddenly gone from their life can be very scary. And I think that they can often start to worry. I mean, that is where that grief anxiety comes in. They can start to worry that other bad things are going to happen. So having real conversations with them, assuring them of their safety, security, of the other people around them, that's something we really have to work with them on. We work on that ourselves when we go through it. I see so many clients go through a big loss and then begin to see the whole world through a catastrophic lens. You know, They've lost somebody important and now they're so worried that more bad things can happen and they begin to kind of really dwell in that space, but we can work to pull ourselves out of it and to reassure ourselves and to help ourselves feel more secure. And connected to that, both for ourselves and for kids, I'm going to frame it on kids first, especially with ADHD. Sometimes your head just goes somewhere else, right? Sometimes you just go somewhere else. So if you've got a kid that is grieving the loss of a parent, and then all of a sudden they're talking about Minecraft or asking you about the latest Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that they suddenly don't care. That doesn't mean that they're being rude or disrespectful. It just means that 
Maybe they're full. Maybe they can't continue to grieve anymore. Maybe it means that they noticed that you were getting upset and they're trying to comfort you by getting out of that conversation and going somewhere else. It's okay for that to happen. And, and it could be hard, I would imagine. Like if, if I lost my wife and I'm sad and my kids are sad and then all of a sudden they're like Dan TDM and Minecraft, that could be jarring for me. Absolutely. But I have to ride that out. You absolutely do. Uh, you know, it just made me think of when my ex-husband and I told our kids that we were getting divorced and we were explaining that, you know, he was going to live in a different house and we kind of waited for them to break down. But instead, my oldest, all she said was, I get two rooms. And we were both like, oh my God. Um, but, you know, a lot of her grief came later. There were periods of time, even years later, where she was feeling sad about the divorce and it didn't happen in that moment. So I think that is what parents need to be thinking about. But I also will say, I think it's very healthy for us to role model being sad. I think that that's okay. Sometimes it will, you know, it's, it can be hard for kids, but it's also okay to let them know that like, this is part of life. We will always, you know, have moments that are sad and have grief and it's okay to cry and it's okay to feel sad. Um, when we don't let ourselves feel sad, that is when other things happen, anger, anxiety, you know, depression, all kinds of stuff. I also want to honor the fact that I ADHD'd uh, Wharton's four tasks of grieving. So I'm going to circle back to that because I did the first two. Tell us the last two. <laughs> I mentioned number four and didn't call it out. And then they did the first two. So the second two are adjusting to the world without your loved one and finding a way to maintain a connection to your loved one. So we talked a little bit about that fourth one as it relates to me eating combos, right? And, and, finding a time to grieve and scheduling that that's sort of that fourth one. The third one though, I think is really important to play with particularly for an ADHD audience because adjusting to the world without your loved one, some of what's hiding inside of that, there's certainly the emotional component. There's certainly the, the missing them, but there's also this logistical side of that loss that is sneaky. That's the kind of thing that particularly as a person with ADHD, I might miss that. I might not even think of that, especially if I'm deep in grief. If my wife were to die today, I could see myself going, I'm really sad. I lost my wife. What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? And not for a second thinking, my wife handles all the bills and going six months without paying anything until all of a sudden I'm homeless, right? So I, I, can we play with that component a little bit? Yeah, it's, it is a really important component for any person who's grieving in any way that they're grieving, regardless of whether they're doing more task-oriented grieving or, you know, the emotional swimming of it, this, this is an important component. I think that it kind of comes into play with the idea of resilient grieving, which I have a tricky relationship with because I feel like the, uh, the concept of resilient grieving, which is kind of like, you know, moving through it and getting, getting on your feet and learning how to be in the world without this person. I never want people to feel that they need to stop grieving in order to be resilient, you know, so it's, it's something that goes hand in hand. We, we still get to grieve and be sad and wish we had our person and we get to continue to build a meaningful life for ourselves. You know, it's not one or the other. We get to do both. It's sort of more like adaptable grieving. Yeah, absolutely. There are an enormous amount of life changes and things that can come with a loss. You know, just like you said, if, if someone loses a spouse, like, oh my God, the household and the kids and just everything that comes with that. 
And, and it, there's a certain point which we really have to either get help or start to work on those things for ourselves and adjust to being in the world without that person. Some of that is in an emotional adjustment and some of that is very practical. When we can start to do those things, it can help us move forward. But I think one of the things I wanna point out is that time and grief often have mixed messages. I think that, you know, people really want us to move through grief much quicker than we are able to. Grief lasts a long time. And, you know, I had a client yesterday who I was speaking to lost her husband several years ago, and she still hasn't cleaned out the house. You know, she just stopped sleeping in their bedroom and the door has been closed and she sleeps in the guest room. And it's been three years. And some of that, you know, we're really working on right now. Some of it's completely understandable. You know, I think it really takes some time to be in a place where we're ready to make those changes. Some of us don't have a choice. If you're raising a kid and you lose a spouse, like you really have to, you know, get on top of things and make some of those changes. And for those people, what I often see is they take care of all the task stuff. And then 10 years later, they come back to grieve. One of the things that I say a lot is that ADHD is nothing if not a roller coaster, right? The, the ADHD roller coaster theme, everybody who talks about ADHD talks about that. I've been thinking about how that has probably helped me with grieving my mom because I'm used to stuff being inconsistent. I'm used to like, sometimes I'm the greatest person walking the face of the planet. Sometimes I don't know why they let me out of my house, right? Like sometimes the world is overwhelming. And so when I get hit with a burst of anxiety or I get hit with a time when I'm missing my mom or feeling like I'm not good enough or whatever, that's normal to me. That isn't, that isn't new. It's been happening to me all my life, except for the mom part. And I'm more comfortable with that. But someone who is neurotypical, I could see going, I'm all over the place. Like I'm up and I'm down and I'm struggling. And this seems like it's a problem, but it doesn't have to be. It can be right now. I'm just in a season of missing my person. and this season will pass and I will, I will go and be a world beater or whatever it is that I need to be again in later, whenever that is two weeks, a month, whatever. And then this might come back. The way I look at it with ADHD is I say, sometimes the ADHD wins. And I use that term on purpose because if the ADHD is one, that means I can like resume the battle anew. And maybe I win this time. Maybe I don't, who knows, but I can also see going. Sometimes the grief wins. Sometimes the anxiety wins sometimes the whatever it is that is your mental health challenge wins and that's okay. I think this is such a great distinction to point out because I I think that that roller coaster that that someone like you is more familiar riding is very startling for someone who's grieving and who has not had an emotional roller coaster or kind of any kind of, you know, mental health roller coaster um because grief is just it just comes on and it's going to take you where it wants you to go. Um and and for some people they are so overwhelmed and startled that one minute they're walking across the room to make some breakfast and the next minute they're on their uh, on their knees crying, you know, or they are having a, you know, burst of anger or anxiety or they're feeling happy and then back to crying, you know. So that kind of roller coaster is very unsettling for a lot of people. And that's where some of their anxiety comes in because suddenly they they realize that they they don't feel like themselves anymore. They don't feel like they have control over regulating their emotions. They don't know if they can go out to a party or go to work because what if they start, what if they break down crying or angry or anything that they're going through with their grief? And so some of the anxiety comes from that, just going through that emotional roller coaster. And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? I'm just so glad that you are opening this up, having these conversations. I think we really do need to be talking about grief all the time. 
grief isn't a terrible thing. It's a kind of a beautiful human process that we all go through. Um, no one escapes grief, you know, whether it's grieving over something that we don't expect, you know, like our kids, or whether it's grieving over the loss of a person we loved. Grief asks a lot of us. It asks us to look at who we are, what, what matters to us, you know, what our life looks like going forward. And there's beautiful opportunities there. I think we're seeing that with the pandemic. It took so much away. It asks so much of us. We've created so much new. We have this like new world we're moving into. And grief is a lot like that. So rather than being fearful of it, really embracing the grief process and, and opening yourself up to seeing what, you know, what it requires of you, but definitely getting support along the way if you need it. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.